have uh, purposely arranged these ghost stories to get us to where we are and to where we're going. So week five and week six are going to be different than the previous installments of this series because we've been building up to two particular things, one of which I'll reveal this morning. The second won't come until next week. These are the culmination. This is the the apex of all the work that has went on, uh, both behind the scenes and that you have heard preached. Uh, Everything has been leading up to where we are right now and where we'll be next week. Also, I'm going to ask before I get started for you to be praying for me. Uh, As you know, I've been asked a lot this year to go uh, preach at different locations. Between now and next Sunday night, which will be our Super Sunday service, I'll be preaching seven services in seven days. So uh, I'm going to be preaching a a four-day revival uh, downstate for a friend of mine. And, and so I'm going to ask if you would to be holding me up in prayer. Um, they, they're, they're wanting people saved. And, of course, that's what we always want in church. But I've asked God instinctively to install uh, the anointing and, and the word that will bring people to repentance and the revelation of who he is. Sometimes repentance is not uh, the most important thing that you can preach on someone because uh, they feel condemned instead of convicted. Sometimes it's just a revelation of who God is because I found out in, in, in my later stages of life that if I see him in his beauty, I want to serve him. I, I, for years and years and years, the church just beat people into submission and told us how uh, unworthy we were in hopes that we would be broken enough to say, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. But what I found out uh, in my later stages of life is that he is the, he's the author and finisher of my faith and that he is the bright morning star, that he is the lover of my soul. And if I see him in his beauty, I don't want to go back to my old life. I want to be more in his presence than ever before. So, so I'm, I'm approaching ministry differently than I used to when it comes to asking people uh, would they like to serve Jesus for the rest of their life. So this morning I'm going to take, I'm going to be, I'm going to get, be giving you one verse. Uh, and it's going to be out of Genesis chapter 37. Then I'm going to be uh, quoting several other verses along the way. However, um, it's going to take me just a few minutes to get there. Uh, Genesis 37 will, will come a little bit later because uh, I told you I, I have built up to this culmination. This week and next week are the apex of ghost stories. The, these two services are why I have preached everything that we have preached. And I'm going to kind of give you a recap uh, if we can before I get to this morning's um, uh, sermon text. Uh, last week, we began looking at the life of one of my very favorite uh, characters in the entire Bible. We say characters, but we obviously know that these were real people with real problems. And we started talking about Joseph last week. Now, I am looking at Joseph's life in reverse order. I told you last week, we started at the end when his brothers were bowing down in front of him. We began our story there. I'm going back this week to the beginning of Joseph's story. The reason I did it in reverse order was because I wanted to teach this text as the outlet to your ghosts. 
We've been talking about ghosts now for five weeks. We, when we talk about ghosts, we have been talking about things that happened in your past that have shown up in your present and has made your present feel haunted by the past. And we've talked about a lot of things, and, and, and we've, been, we've talked about being afraid of the dark. We've talked about living in a haunted house. We've talked about looking for peace in a cemetery. We've talked about last week being bewitched by other people's betrayals. But what we're going to discover this week is the one key that the devil does not want you to know. What I'm going to give you this week is the answer to all of the ghost stories that you have lived through. And we've dealt with some very personal things. We've talked about your childhood and we've talked about the house that you've grown up in. We've talked about you being terrorized by trauma, held back because of words and curses that other people spoke over your life. We've dealt with a lot of very sensitive topics, but this morning's message is the key to get loose from all of that. This sermon is called Dreams Disguised as Nightmares. Or, do you have a dream or a nightmare? Now, I want you to know that we all have some dreams. Last week we found out that Joseph wept when his brothers bowed down in front of him. And I told you I find that strange. I find it strange because when Joseph was mistreated and betrayed, he didn't cry. He cried when his dream became his reality. That's what brought Joseph to tears. It wasn't the pain that caused him to cry. It was the reality of what he knew was supposed to happen finally showing up and becoming real. I talked to you last week about how to handle betrayal. I'm not sure that I can move on with Joseph's story without giving you a little bit more information. Most of you are good at handling adversity. Can I tell you that? Can I tell you that you're tougher than you think you are? Can, can I, I'm not bragging on you. I'm just stating a reality. M- most of you handle hard times a lot better than you handle good times. And, and doesn't that sound counterproductive? Because the things that we whine about, the things that we post about, the things that we stress about, are the things that we think is killing us. But what I find out in the story of Joseph, and by pastoring a bunch of people, is that we handle adversity better than we handle promotion. And what I find in the story of Joseph is the question of our character is how do you handle it when you have the advantage? Joseph looked at his brothers who was bowing down in front of him and he wept. He had the power. He had been promoted over the brothers who betrayed him. It was at this moment in time that Joseph could have had their heads cut off. He could have had them put in prison. He could have had them taken out and thrown in a pit. He had all the power, they had none of the power, or he could have simply said, I'm not going to give you what you came asking for, I'm going to watch you starve to death. And so the the test of your character is not, can you survive hard times? That's a test of your resolve. 
That's a test of are you tough enough? And I'm going to tell all of you sitting here, if you can still do this, you're tough enough. You've made it. You've made it to this point. But that's not a test of your character. That's a test of your toughness. The test of your character is how do you handle it when you have the advantage? Because here's what God knew about Joseph. There's coming a day when this family that I have chosen to become my people throughout the whole world is going to be facing a moment where they may not survive. And when that time comes, I am going to need a man who I can trust not to have wisdom, not to be anointed, not to know how to pray, but a man who has my heart, a man who cares, a man who won't take advantage of his position and his authority. I need Joseph because God knew what most people did not realize, that Joseph can keep a licking and keep on ticking. That Joseph doesn't allow what happens to him to change him. This is what God knew about Joseph. And some of you, some of us, have been praying for God to give us promotion. But He can't trust your heart to put you in authority over people who have scandalized you. And here's the thing about God. If He can't trust you to bless those who curse you, he will never promote you above them. He will not give you authority over people so you can use that authority to hurt them. But you don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they did to me. Doesn't matter. God knows and he knows that if he has to hold you back and not give you the position you're asking for, he'll do it because he won't let you be the hammer and them the nail. God will not promote you above other people until he can trust your heart. If you are going to become bewitched by the betrayal, he'll keep you where they are. If you want to get promoted above them, you need your heart to change. This family was too important for God to just let them starve to death. He needed somebody that was going to let the betrayal go and just love. What God wants to do in you is too big for you to adopt unnecessary enemies. If God can trust you that your flesh won't get in the way, He won't leave you in the pit to die. Which brings me to my sermon this morning. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Is that what the Bible says? Hmm? When he told his brothers about his dream, they hated him more than ever. So for everybody under the sound of my voice and everybody watching online who thinks that when you get a dream and you get a good idea that everybody's going to celebrate you, they're not. Don't expect that. I want to speak to you about your 
your dreams. The, the dreams that God has put into your heart. Dreams are complicated for a lot of reasons. One reason is because you have to tell and know who put the dream in there in the first place. Was it God that put the dream in your heart? Was it your own ambition? Was it the too much onions that you had on the pizza last night? There's a lot of reasons that folks dream. Now, now let me draw a distinction this morning before I get started. I'm not talking about, even though that's what happened to Joseph, I'm not talking about laying your head on a pillow and going to sleep and having a dream. Now, I'm going to be very transparent with you because I've been, I've been walking this way for a long time. I've met people that have genuine spiritual dreams. But I've met a whole lot more people that have dreams. I've, I've met a whole lot of people in my walk and in my ministry that have dreams. And they all want to make it mean something. And so they often will come to me and say, Pastor, I dreamed that last night uh, I was a horse and, and, and my husband was a cockroach and I stomped on his head seven times and seven is the number of grace and what does it mean so in the Bible I find exactly two men that was able and anointed to interpret dreams two I find a whole lot of people in the Bible two that interpreted dreams I know they sell books, I know there's seminars, I know there's all these kind of things that people fancy themselves to be experts on dream analysis, and I've, I've read some of them, I've, I've watched some of them, but, but when I read the Word of God, which is my sole authority, I find two people, Daniel could do it, and Joseph could do it, and, and, and everybody else that tried it was either way off course, or just said, I don't know. And when people come to me, I don't want to be way off course, so I, I most of the time say, I, I don't know. Because there's a lot of things that can affect dreams. When you go to sleep, you lose control. You're no longer in control of your mind. You're no longer in control of what's happening to you. So, so, so I, there's a lot of things that can make you dream a dream. And I have had some spiritual dreams. I, they have been very, very few and far between. Every time I lay down and go to sleep and have a dream, I don't wake up in the morning and think, God's speaking to me. Can I tell you my interpretation of that? God does not want to talk to you through dreams. Because God has already spoken to you through 66 books that is compiled and most of us don't want to read that. Most of us don't want to comprehend that. Most of us don't want to absorb that. So we're always looking for an easier word. 
We're always looking for something that is more, uh, uh, less complicated and more direct. And we want God to tell us when to get up and when to lay down and where to go to work and who to marry and what, what house to take. And, and life is not like that. That's what I'm going to talk about. I'm preaching already. I, uh, we want to dream a dream or have somebody else dream a dream that give us an interpretation because we want to know our steps are ordered by the Lord. But what you need to understand is that while the Bible does say that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, and David did say that his word... The steps of a righteous man are, and and sisters, we'll throw you in there too, are ordered by the Lord. But we want some preacher to lay hands on us and prophesy. Or we want somebody to go sleep at night and wake up and have a, a word. I need a word. And I've known Christians that will hop on an airplane and fly all over the world to get a word. There's there's some preacher having a revival, and I need to get there because he's got a word for me. He does. If he got it out of that book that you hold in your lap, if you'll just dust that thing off every once in a while and crack it open, there's a word for you in there. I promise you. I promise you there's a word for you, and you can save airfare. But we want it easy. We want somebody to dream. We want somebody to tell us what to do, who to marry, where to work, where to go to school, where I should put my my money. Should I put it in the stock market or should I put it over here? God's not going to tell you these things. Because the Bible says your steps are ordered. The steps of a, not a Facebook prophet, but the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say anything about all them steps being easy. It doesn't say anything about all them steps not having mystery to them. As a matter of fact, what David said was, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my way. Some of you that's been with me for a while know that in those days... We, they did not have electricity. They did not have spotlights. They didn't have car headlights. They sure didn't have LED bulbs. Uh, they did not have the modern uh, 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 things that, accoutrements that we have. When they would walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, many times they would have an oil lantern that they would carry or would be strapped to the heel of their foot. And if you've ever been in a place with no light, and all you have is a small lamp, a candle, a lantern, you understand that all the light you have is where that thing is. So if David is talking about that kind of situation, that means that when I take my step, I don't see the next 20 steps. I see this place where I'm putting my foot down. And that's all I know. Because the steps 
of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And if I have to know God's plan, I'm not trusting God. If I have to know that everything's going to be easy and everything's going to work out the way I dreamed it, then I am not putting my faith in the Lord. When I put my faith in the Lord, I say, I can't even see where I'm putting this thing down. But I know that he who waits on the Lord will renew their strength. I know that the Lord is with me. I know that he is good. I know that he will guard my foot and it will not fall and he will not allow me to slip. This is the kind of test that the walk of faith brings out. That's why, that's why I don't interpret dreams. And again, I've had a few spiritual dreams. Very few. And I've known in my spirit that was a dream that I need to share with that person. Because most of the time, I don't remember my dreams. And the ones I do, I'm like, that couldn't be the Lord. Because that's just nonsense. The Lord's not giving me a dream about a, a, a blue Volkswagen. While I was fishing with a baseball bat and mosquitoes the size of hound dogs. with That's not the Lord. I ate something last night. I got indigestion before I went to bed. And now it's messing with my sleep. God's not in that. Everything, everything that is spoken to me needs to be put under strict scrutiny. Now that I've said that to you, I want to talk to you about the dreams that you have. The Bible says that when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a dream, and his brothers hated him for it. That phrase that I showed you, they hated him more than ever, you know what that means? That tells me that Joseph's brothers didn't already like Joseph. That they already didn't like Joseph before Joseph started having dreams. And we can argue whether or not Joseph was wise to share his dream with his brothers. Because I'm not sure that, that, listen, you can overshare. There are some things that's just supposed to be between you and the good Lord. That you can talk too much. Boy, that's a word for somebody. You can talk too much. You can post too much. Everybody's not supposed to be privy to the private conversations between you and the Lord. But one thing that we do conclude from this text, and, and I'm going sh- to show you this is the problem throughout the rest of this message, is that from a biological perspective, Joseph was different. Joseph was, the, was different than the rest of his brothers. And here's why. Some of you may not know. Joseph had a different mother than the rest of these boys did. They shared the same father, Jacob. But Jacob had a wife named Rachel, who was his favorite wife. Amanda, you're my favorite wife. I just want to put that out there in this sermon so everybody knows that she's my, she's my favorite wife. <laughs> and because Rachel was his favorite wife, the son she gave him was his favorite son. Now, I know 
Some of you are sitting there saying, oh, I love all my babies the same. You also ain't supposed to lie in church. Because the only one of you that don't have a favorite kid only have one kid. You know, you know who you are. You know who you are. Oh, no, I love all my children the same. Uh, really, let, let, let's just take a look at this. Because y- y- you know the story, right? Jacob gives Joseph this coat from Gucci. And, and he wears it all the time. And, and, and it's like sticking a stick in his brother's eyes. They, they hate Joseph. And so when Joseph comes walking around, he's the youngest and, or he's next to the youngest. He's one of the younger ones of the bunch. And, and, and he's got this Gucci coat, and the rest of them don't have one. They're wearing Levi's. And he's got Armani. And they, 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 they hate him, and they hate his coat. And now he's got a dream. And guess what they're going to do to that dream? They're going to hate it too. Because some people don't need a reason to hate what's inside of you if they've already got their mind made up about you. So what happens to most of us, what happens to most of us is when we start to realize we're not like other folks, we start diminishing the thing that makes us different. The one thing I admire about Joseph, he wore the coat. His brothers didn't like it. They hated it. They despised it. They talked about it. And he wore it anyway. What I'm finding out in 2022 is we got a whole lot of believers who are despising the thing that makes us distinctive. We're not, because the world hates what is inside. Do, do you understand that when you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, what is inside of you is irritating to this culture? Do, do you understand that this is not the world of leave it to beaver anymore where everybody has good morals and, and most everybody uh, appreciates the church and preaching? No, 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 no. You're living in a post-Christian society that no longer appreciates you telling them that something is right and wrong. We We have a confused generation that has absolutely no distinctive about them. They want to go with the flow no matter what happens. They will believe one thing today and then if TikTok tells them to switch, they'll switch tomorrow. Because all of their friends are going this direction. They believe that that's the direction. All of my friends are over here. It doesn't matter who is, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what it is that they stand for because all of my friends say it's good or social media tells me it's right. Right. Or, or the culture says to stand with them and I'm in solidarity and I'm in unity and they're confused and they're bewildered they're bewitched but you son or daughter of God have the spirit of the living God inside of you and it makes you different oh can I preach for a minute it will make you walk different it will make you talk different it will make you party different it will make you dance different it will make you stand for something and it will make you stand up against a thing what is alive inside of you is irritating to the dead things that is inside of them they don't like it So my question to you this morning is, are you willing to wear your coat? The thing that makes you different. Because they're going to hate it. And they're going to hate you like these boys hated Joseph. Let's let's dive into that. 
Because holding on to a dream that God gives you takes courage. It takes courage for you to be different. Because when you're different, people want to criticize the thing that makes you different. Or they want to drag you out of and cause you to compromise. Why do you think they took the coat off of Joseph? They could have just thrown Joseph into the pit. They took the thing that made them feel inferior. There are people out there right now that don't hate you, but they hate what you stand for. And they want to take, oh, young people, there's a devil out there who wants to take your innocence. There's devils out there who want to take your virginity. There's devils out there who want to take believer. They want to take the speech that comes out of your mouth because what you say glorifies the thing that makes them feel inferior. And when they feel inferior, they want to take that distinctive from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, 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 this is the problem that Joseph runs into when he finds these brothers. Brothers! His blood, his own kin. And the weird thing, the weird thing about being different is this. People appreciate it, and then they turn on it. Can I help you? We're that church. We're not church as usual. You know what I found out about being that church? People will leave other churches and come to that church because it's not like the one they left. And then... When they get to that church, they criticize that church because it ain't like the one that they left. The thing that made them different is the thing that they want to criticize because you know why? You're attracted to difference. That's why before you get married, opposites attract. Then after you've been married a minute, opposites attack. Twenty-nine years, folks, twenty-nine years. Joseph's story, when you read his story, and I mean really read it. I'm not talking about you got the vacation Bible school version. I'm talking about like I did. I read every verse of this from chapter 37 to chapter 50. I read his, I read every verse multiple times while I was building these two sermons, and then there's a bonus episode coming at the end of this because I had so much Joseph I had to build another sermon out of it but I read every verse multiple times and when you really read his story you find out that most of the things that people quote about Joseph sounds good in human resources and it sounds good on motivational posters, it might sound good on an episode of Dr. Phil but it's not really the story of Joseph's dream. Because most of us have bought into the lie, follow your dream. And we believe that that is the motivation. Don't ever let anybody take your dream away from you. You hold on. Even if they throw you into the pit, you hold on to your dream. But what if your dream you're holding on to was just the first draft? Are you open for revision to your dreams? Because some of us 
What we're dealing with is a dream we think God gave us. But we're not walking in it because there's two things I want to teach you. If you really study the life of Joseph, you're going to find two things that stand out. One, there was a lot of dreams in them 13 chapters. A lot. Like Joseph was dreaming, and the baker was dreaming, and the cupbearer was dreaming, and Pharaoh was dreaming. There was a lot of dreams in 13 chapters. That's the first thing that stands out. The second thing that stands out is you're going to find this phrase over and over and over. I iterated, the Lord was with Joseph. The reason I bring that up is because something jumped in my spirit while I was reading this. The Lord was with Joseph. That's what the Bible says. That's the biblical view of dreams. The world view of dreams is get a dream and don't let it go. The biblical view is God was with Joseph. The world view is you're with your dream. What's the difference? Well, the difference is what you're holding on to. L- let me, let me, I, I can tell that, that, that I'm leaving you behind. So, 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 so let me be fair to Joseph. Joseph went through his whole life. He was called, he was chosen, and all kinds of conflict came along because he had a dream. We believe that if we have conflict... It's because they're attacking our dream and they're haters. And if you don't believe in me, I'm going to hold on to my dream whether you believe in me or not. Eh. Everybody that doesn't agree with your dream might not be haters. Like, have you ever watched, I, I I haven't watched it in many, many years, but only like the first round. Have you ever watched American Idol? Like, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I only liked to watch the first couple of weeks when the stinkers were on there. Because then people would come up and they would start singing and you'd be like, ain't, ain't nobody ever heard them before? Like, didn't, don't they have a friend? Now, now listen, I understand. Mama loves you so much she can't even hear the bad notes. So when you're saying, she's like, oh, baby, you are so talented. Because she's hearing through a filter of motherly love. But everybody else in their life, ain't never, they ain't never sang in church. And somebody didn't pull them to the side and say, maybe you're gifted to drive the bus. <laughs> like, like I, I, everybody, everybody that's against your dream may not be haters, they may just have hearing. So, so, so Joseph, Joseph, when we look at his dream versus your dream or my dream, Joseph never asked God for a dream. God spoke it into his life. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't come up with your own dreams, but let's just be clear that we mean the same thing when we say dream. Dreams, according to Joseph's profile, his dream was specific. It was epic. 
It had broad implications. And he tells his brother or his brothers about his dreams. And can't you hear their conversation? Oh, here comes this guy again. Hey, I have, do you like my coat? No, we hate your coat. We hate you. We hate your stupid mouth. We hate your voice. I had some dreams. You want to hear them? No, we hate you. We hate your dreams. Well, I had a dream that we were all sheaves and I was standing up straight and all the rest of you 11 came and bowed down in front of me. Ain't that cool? And then I had another dream where the, I, we were all stars. All of us kids were stars and mom and dad were the sun and the moon and all of y'all came and bowed down in front of me. Ain't that cool? No, we hate you and your stupid dreams. They wasn't haters, but Joseph was trying to tell them the reality of his dream and they didn't want to hear it. And they didn't agree with it because here's some scrawny kid in a Gucci suit telling them that one day they're all going to bow down in front of him. What is real to you may not be real to everybody. And because they can't see what you see, your dreams seem like fantasy. Having said that, your dreams look like fantasy to me. But can I also tell you that your dreams can look like a nightmare to you? If you read this story in Genesis, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. If you keep reading this story in Genesis chapter 37, the Bible says that his brothers went out to feed the flocks in Shechem. His daddy, Jacob, said, Joseph, go check on your brothers. I want to know where they are. He shows up in Shechem. There's a guy standing on a street corner somewhere. He says, hey, I'm looking for my brothers. He says, y'all, they've moved on down to Dothan. And, the, and Joseph goes down to Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, they said, here comes this clown with this Gucci coat. Let's throw him into a pit. And let's see what become of his dream. I told you last week what the devil's really after is your dream. What he's really trying to kill and murder and slaughter is your dream. And they said, let us see what happens to his dream. But then there's this phrase, and I want to read it to you. Verse eight, I'm going to start reading it, verse uh, 18. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near to him, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him, cast him into some pit. Can I tell you, when the devil gets his hands on you, any pit will do. Throw him into some pit. It wasn't, this was not a well-orchestrated plan. It was just some pit. The devil don't care where he drops you. That's why you need... You need to pick your relationships very carefully. Because people who love you today won't, won't remember your name tomorrow and they'll be moving on to their next victim, I mean their next relationship. And you will be dropped like yesterday's habit, like last year's bird's nest, and your heart is broken and your spirit is compromised and you feel the guilt and the shame and they moved on like you never existed in their life. You need to be very careful who you give your heart, your soul, your mind, your affection to because the devil don't care where he drops you. He, he could care less where he drops you. They wanted to put him in some pit. And we will say this wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what becomes of his dream. But Reuben heard it. Somebody say Reuben heard it. 
Uh huh. His older brother Reuben, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, "Let's not kill him." And if you stopped right there, you'd be like, "Yay, Reuben! Reuben is the hero of this story. Reuben saved the day. He kept them from killing their little brother." But verse twenty-two says, "Reuben said to them, shed no blood." I mean, he's worth twenty shekels. Let's sell him. And so it came to pass, verse 23, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, you know, that Gucci coat that was on him. And they took him and cast him into the pit. And then it says this, it says this little weird phrase. The pit was empty. It had no water in it. The pit was, they threw him into an empty pit. If it hadn't been for Reuben, they would have killed him. If it hadn't been for Reuben, they would have murdered their, their brother and left him dead in the pit. They, they, they would have they killed him and put him in a pit if it had not been for Reuben. What's all this got to do with ghost stories? I'm glad you asked. Reuben said, why would we kill him when we make a little dough off of him? And he saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. He saw a caravan of Ishmaelites that he knew they could sell Joseph into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites, descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael is the son Abraham wasn't supposed to have. Isaac, the son Abraham was promised, is Joseph's granddaddy. So now we have Abraham's mistake enslaving his seed the ghosts of his mistakes have shown up in his grandchild that's when your dreams start looking like nightmares because everything that happens to Joseph was orchestrated what did I tell you God's definition of a dream is the Lord was with Joseph. Everything that happened to Joseph, including him showing off his Gucci coat, including his brothers laying hold of him, including them taking that coat off of him, including them throwing him into the pit, it was all orchestrated by God. We want to believe that the only steps that God orchestrates in our life are the ones that make us feel good, that makes us dance, that makes us shout. But can I tell you, sometimes God puts you in a pit because that is the first step of the plan to bring you into fruition. You don't want me to start preaching to you about the vine and the vine dresser who will come along and snip stuff out of your life that is unfruitful. When you start asking God to make you his, to make you fruitful, to make you grow and be productive, don't be surprised if he don't start snatching folks out of your life and bringing habits up out of you and telling you you're going to have to do better than... 
Uh-huh. See, we don't like it. We want God to orchestrate our steps, which means we get to keep doing everything we want to do, sleep with who we want to sleep with, kiss who we want to kiss, get high on what we want to get high on, and God just show up and bless. But we got quiet in here. But the first step in the dream becoming a reality was the pit, and sometimes your dreams start looking like nightmares. And here in this room is a critical word for somebody. There is no record in Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, or 45 where the Bible says Joseph remembered his dream. As a matter of fact, you won't find where Joseph followed his dream. Here's what you find. His dream followed him. It followed him into the pit. It followed him into slavery. It followed him into Potiphar's house. It followed him into the prison. And it followed him all the way to Pharaoh's house. Because when I follow Jesus, dreams follow me. You know why? Do you want to know why? Because despite the motivational posters that we hang in the HR office or the counselor's office at college, despite those, those things that says dream your dream, follow your dreams, lay hold of your dreams, what you dream for you is often much smaller than what he dreams for you. And you're holding on to something that he wants to give you exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. So God says, I want you to have your dream." But you got to hold on to the right dream. And sometimes the first time you see your dream, it looks a lot like a nightmare. This wasn't a dream that Joseph dreamed for himself. It, it wasn't a dream he dreamed for himself. It was given to him. And it needed time to develop. Let me, let me help you understand something. Can, can you put my first picture up that I want to share this morning? Hey, look at that. Montcalm High School. 1991-92. First page of the yearbook. Now, now that's the school. That, that's the school. But can you zoom in a little bit right here? Can, can, you, can you get a little closer? Uh-huh. Hey, how about one more? Can you zoom in one more time? Oh, does anybody recognize somebody up there? Now listen. How do you earn such a prestigious place in the Montcalm yearbook? Like that's prime real estate. That's the title page of the Montcalm High School yearbook for the year 1991 and 1992. I mean, the school and this beauty. All in the same picture. How could she ever swing having the prominent picture in the whole yearbook? Let's see. Let's see who was on that staff. These jokesters, these pranksters. Photographers, Brian Vance and oh. Photographers, Brian Vance and Albert Mitchum. 
the Montcalm General, 1992. I was also in charge of sports. Imagine that. 1992. Okay. So I was the photographer. Me and Brian, my best friend, were the photographers for the yearbook. Now, pictures back then was way different. Now, oh, wait a minute. Got to get that right. Ain't got to take 75 so we can post one. You know what I mean? My daughter's snapping. We're in the, we're in the, it's dark still. I'm taking her to school in the morning and I see a flash go off. She, I said, well, there's her garage snap. Now she's going to need a driveway snap and a pulled out of the driveway snap and a top of the hill snap. And a, it's just flashes going off over there. But when I was doing photography back then, you took a picture. And then the next day, Brian and I would have to go into the dark room and we'd have to develop the film. We'd have to develop it in a process, then stop, let it dry for a whole day. That was day one. Then you come back the next day, you take that film that you had developed, and if it can't turn out right, then you would start the process of putting the image from the film onto the photo paper. And there was a process involved in that. You had three different uh, stalls that you, there was, a, there was a, a, a developer and there was a stop bath and there was a finishing compound and, and you had to know when to take it out of, you had to expose it and if you didn't expose it long enough, it was underexposed and if you exposed it too long, it was overexposed or if you left it in one of the chemicals too long or too short, the picture would either turn out r- great Or it would look great in the end and then turn dark and be lost forever. There was a process. And no matter how fast Mr. Crotty wanted pictures, it made no difference. The process took as long as it took. You could complain. You could throw a fit. You could need it real bad. But we have to go through the process. And the process of image development always happened in the dark room. It takes as long as it takes. And nothing speeds it up because it is a process. And some of you do not have the picture of your dream because you won't leave things in the dark long enough. You want God to lay everything out for you. You want everything to be planned for you. You want everything to be orchestrated for you. You want everything to come out exactly thus and so because I'm a planner and I need to know, well, can I tell you something? God don't care about your plans because He is above all, in all, and through all. So here's what I'm going to do. There's two kinds of people in this room right now. There's those of you that have given up on your dreams because it didn't happen fast enough and there's those of you that resent that you ever had a dream because the dream did not match what you uh, in your mind had developed for your so, so it doesn't matter which kind you are I'm going to give you all the same answer here's what the Bible says brother Mark the Bible said that his older brother Reuben put him into the pit his older brother Reuben had him cast into the pit because he didn't want to kill him so he got him 
in the pit. But the Bible says Reuben left. I don't know where he went, and I don't know how long he was gone, but Reuben left. And when he came back, they had sold him into Ishmaelite slavery, and he looked into the pit, and he was surprised that Joseph was gone. Reuben got him into the pit. Reuben got him into the pit. His brother saved him from death, but put him into a pit. The pit, the Bible said, was what? Empty. It was an empty pit. His brother Reuben put him into an empty pit. I know I keep repeating myself because somebody is slack of hearing and I need to get, get this into your spirit. His brother Reuben put him into an empty pit. But while Reuben was gone and checked out and did not keep his eye on the situation, there was a, there was a development that happened in the life of Joseph. And that development was one of his brothers came along and got him out of the pit. That was the dream, the beginning of the dream that God was orchestrating. It didn't feel like a dream. It seemed like a nightmare. Who wants to go into an empty pit with no water? If you stay in an empty pit with no water, you're eventually going to die. If you fall and break your neck, you're going to die. If you stay in there and starve, you're going to die. If wild animals find out you're in there, they're going to come kill you and have you for lunch and you're going to die. You can die in a pit. A pit is a scary place. An empty pit is a malnourished place. And he was in a pit. But the Bible says his brother Reuben put him in the pit. His brother Reuben left him abandoned in the pit so he might die in the pit. But there was another brother that Joseph had. And the Bible said his name was Judah. And Judah reached into the pit and pulled Joseph out. I know there's some folks in here that don't know this yet but Judah's name means praise so I came to tell somebody this morning who finds themselves in an empty pit you feel malnourished you feel abandoned you feel like you might die Reuben might put you in a pit but Judah's going to get you out it don't matter what your dream looks like if it looks like a nightmare if it looks like you don't have enough if it looks like your supply has read out. Somebody needs to put their hands together and give Judah praise in this church. Judah's going to get you out. The picture isn't developed just yet because it's dark in empty pits but God does his best work in dark places. God does his best work in your pit of depression. I told you I preached for five weeks to get right here. Because it don't matter if it's a haunted house you're living in. It don't matter if you're scared of the dark. It's irrelevant what kind of pit you find yourself in. The answer it's the same. You can't buy your way out of the pit. You can't, you can't talk your way out of the pit. You can't theology your way out of the pit. But Judah will get you out. <laughs> Some of you are in a pit of financial discrepancies like the 
You've never went in before. You, some of you are in a pit of depression. Some of you are in a pit of addiction. Some of you are in a pit of mental disorders. Some of your marriages are in a pit. Some of your families are in a pit. Some of you are in a pit and you thought it was empty when you got there and now you're finding ghosts. The ghosts of relationships you you thought you buried and now they're back. The ghosts of bad choices that you thought you made amends for and now here's your consequences. In an empty pit with nothing but ghost stories. How am I going to get out of this pit? Reuben got me in. Judah's going to get me out. It was an empty pit. You know what a hole in the ground is when you put dirt in it on top of somebody? It's a grave. Had they filled that pit with dirt, Joseph would have died there. So Joseph said, before they can do that to me, I'm going to fill this empty pit with something else. Before they can bury me in this empty pit, I'm going to fill this pit with Judah... Because I don't care what your pit consists of this morning. And some of you have lived in a pit so long you don't even realize that you're in the pit anymore. The rest of us see it. The rest of us know it. But you have become so accustomed to life in the pit that you don't even realize that you're there in an empty, ghost-filled Hole in the ground. One person or maybe a collection of people. Maybe your own choices. You know how you get into a pit? You ain't getting a pit. I know how Joseph got in a pit. Do you know how you get in a pit? You know how Sarah gets in a pit? There's three ways to get in a pit. One is you get pushed in. One is you jump in. And the other is you fall in. So if you've fallen in the pit, you need to check where you're walking. If you're jumping into the pit, you need to check what you're thinking. And if you're being pushed into the pit, you need to check who you're running around with. So it doesn't matter how you got into the pit. The exit's always the same. Doesn't matter... Whether you got there through your own bad choices, your own decisions, or you were thrown in, you're getting out the same way. Reuben got you in. Judah will get you out. And a brother like me will get on your ever-loving nerves because I dance and I squall and I jump and I turn and I... I 
you will look at me and think, I have nothing in the world wrong in my life. Jenny, they will look at me and they will think, Pastor's life must be perfect because every time he comes to church, I see him dancing and I see, and you don't understand that the reason I'm doing that is not because I'm perfect. It's not because nothing is wrong. It's the exact opposite. The reason I'm doing it is because all the hell that I have fought just to get here, and I realize that if I'm in a pit and I stay there, the devil will soon start throwing lumps of dirt over me and this place will become a grave but I didn't die from the fall I didn't die from the reaction I didn't die while I was here fighting these ghosts so it's about time for me to get out of the pit I come to church in the morning so I can lift up Judah and I can get out of the pit I may be in a pit but I ain't staying here there's an exit strategy for me and it's called praise if you jump to your feet right now and put your hands together praise team let's have something that's going to get our praise together we're going to lift up Judah praise in this house and it might get loud it might get uncomfortable for somebody it might get strange because your neighbor might be in a pit and they have decided this morning that they're sick of living They're sick of living inside the pit and they're not interested in whether or not you are going to judge them, whether you are going to look side-eye at them, or whether you're going to post it on TikTok, look at this crazy person I went to church with. Because they learned a long time ago you wasn't there to help them out of the pit. You can't be the reason they stay in it. So I want every person in this room that's sick of your marriage being in a pit, your finances being in a pit, you being in a pit of depression, your family being locked up in a pit. I want every one of you to step out in the aisle, come up to the front. I don't care how you do it, but I want you to close your eyes. Imagine it's just you and them ghosts in that pit. And I want you to praise the Lord. Because Judah's going to get you out. I said Judah's going to get you out. There's a lot of reasons behind you that got you into this pit. (laughs) But the answer and the exit's the same place. Judah, can we get some stuff going on up here and just let the Lord help somebody this morning?